Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. On today's podcast, we have Carl Spencer, who is talking about how he started in Rent to Rent and how he now is doing property developments. Uh, that means building from land or doing commercial conversions and, you know, really looking at how he went from, you know, rent to rent, not owning assets, to then doing some pretty, you know, large scale developments with some nice figures. We talk about the risks, the challenges, you know, the things that come with, you know, bigger rewards. Uh, and we also talk about why he wouldn't do rent to rent again if he, you know, restarted his journey. So I think there's an interesting listen in here because I think a lot of people are doing rent to rent. I think it's a great strategy, uh, you know, especially as a stepping stone to to leave job or to create some cash flow. Like, I think it's great. Uh, But there might be something here that that maybe changes your mind. Just a little reminder, I now co-host PPN Knightsbridge with Pippa. So if you want an awesome networking event, which I think is actually the best PPN in the country in terms of annual members and I think people who visit it consistently... We are every second, uh, yeah, every second Tuesday of the month at the Nova South Building in Victoria. Come along, say hi. If you want to chat to me, that's probably the best time to grab me when I'm actually uh, out of the house or not in Wales or Birmingham. Uh, and as always, my earn and learn and investment opportunities are still open. So give me a shout if you are interested. Carl Spencer, welcome to the Ted Talks podcast. Are you there? Have you run off? I'm oh, really sorry. <laughs> I mean, my literally dog, my, my dog right next to me. She was about to whinge. I thought I better, I better get the dog out of the way. I'm so sorry, Ted. That's right. Is he gone? Gone? <laughs> she's she's gone. <laughs> you know, oh, I think I think I'm going to yeah. leave this in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, Carl, welcome, welcome to the Ted Talks podcast. Uh, thank you for reaching out. You have a very interesting story, actually, and you made a jump from one uh, strategy or method to the other. And they're quite, you know, far apart on the spectrum and scale of things. So I definitely want to get into that. But before you became Carl Spencer of Broadwing Homes, what were you doing before property? And how did you discover property? Uh, Wow. I mean, it's uh, before I moved into the world of um, property, I guess, I was completely left field, you know, nothing to do with property whatsoever. Um, I was in, in effect, in the sales, a salesman for various different companies for many years, uh, for various different size companies, small, right up to the likes of things like Pitney Bowes and Near Post and Orange Business Business, and we're kind of more of the corporate end of sales. But at the end of the day, it's still you're still a salesman, you know, just with a different, uh, a different company name on your wage slip. You know, it's a, it was a similar type of activity. Uh, yeah, I'd done that for about 18 years. So, um, but I'd, I'd done that, and then, but for any salesman or, or, or salesperson, will know that you, a good salesperson has a lot of transferable skills into running their own business. You know, dealing with objection and uh, being on your own and self motivation. So a lot of those kind of skills are quite transferable. And it was only when I sort of started getting to late 30s that I realised that that jump could could happen but I didn't quite know what so that was kind of the um but yeah well that's and before that was in the health and fitness industry so back in the uh early 90s right through to uh, early 2000s uh, I used to yeah I used to be one of those people wearing a a unitard and uh and and uh, just like Mr Motivate all those years ago that was that was me and um and then I, then I moved into sales and then um, and then I worked for a lot of us will, will be familiar with uh, Mark Homer and Rob Moore at Progressive. So I had a, a, an amazing journey working at Progressive for about two and a half, three years, something like that. And had a real window into really the property education space. I mean, I didn't know anything about it before that. And um, the, the hundreds of different strategies and people and you know the mindset behind getting you know the, 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 the you know the the jump between being employed to being running a business um 
so yeah, that was kind of the, I suppose the, um, the bridge was being a progressive in, in essence, you know, that was the, oh, okay. You know, here's the, here's, here's property. I know I wanted to run a business, but I didn't have the, the knowledge to do that. But, um, it was only really until about 2014 where, um, I started to want to go and, you know, run my own thing. And um, so that's why I wanted to, and rent to rent was uh, uh, being employed, even at Progressive for all of my working life, as I'm sure all of us will understand that cash flow is, you know, mortgage and family and so on without having some income coming in. It would have been a difficult, uh, you know, cliff to jump off. So that's why rent to rent for me was at the time I felt was the right choice. Interestingly, interestingly, if if I'd have had my time again, I would not have taken that choice. But at the time, it was one that I took. Yeah. Interesting. Now that is. Now that's something that actually I, I don't recall many people saying about like a strategy they started off with. So I think there's going to be some interesting lessons in there um, for that. So before we go into why you you wouldn't do it again. When you started in rent to rent, what was your so you know, like you said, was it an initial thing just to bridge a gap to buying stuff, or did you think, right, I could actually do this for a few years and it could be my main thing? In all truth, it, I I didn't even think that far ahead. I mean, it was literally right. So I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own boss. And um, it, it, so here's things that I was thinking at the time. It's an easier strategy. I, I need less money. Um, there's, uh, it, it seems to be the less risky. So they, it was more of a, I wouldn't necessarily insecurity-led choice, but it was more of a, um, I feel more comfortable making that choice. So that's why I think at the time it was more of a, I know, you know we can talk about mindset, but for me it was at the time I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't thinking big enough or feeling secure enough and confident in my own ability to think I can't do anything more than that. I know, I, I, you know, I can't uh, be doing property development. I can't be looking at commercial conversions or sourcing them for others um, or even HMOs was not something that I felt personally that I was in the place to do, even though completely oddly, Whilst I was at Progressive, I built a fantastic profile of we, this arguably the largest education company in the country. Um, I was doing public speaking all over the country with Mark and Rob and spoke in front of hundreds of people several times. And um, you would think that what was lacking, you know, but unfortunately, you know, your old habits are are difficult to shake. So that's why uh, rent to rent was a choice feeling that within my bubble of confidence that was a, a choice to make so i'm not yeah. sure if that answers it but that's... no it, it does and you know it's similar to myself when i started out and you know similar in a way i kind of thought oh, i've only got this much money you know i i in deep down i didn't believe i could get investors so i was like oh what suits my current situation and that that was rent to rent but what i should have thought like what you're kind of saying is what will suit the person i want to be or the place I want to be. So it's but it's very difficult to start to kind of think, oh yeah, I'll get investors, let me put offers out on half a million pound houses and then just, you know, find the money. So it's quite tricky and I understand totally where you're coming from because I've I've been there myself. So if you were speaking on stages with Progressive, that means you obviously did something awesome or you had an inspirational story. Um when you were doing rent to rent, sort of like how many did you get? Uh and what were some of the learnings or challenges from rent to rent for people listening who maybe want to start out with rent to rent oh for sure and and i have to say in fact oddly because uh, lee and i that were in business together for, for about three years and uh, we also done several service accommodation uh you know deals uh, between us as well and together and um his birthday uh, or i can't remember a few days ago but i just reached out to him. we haven't spoken for quite some time and i sort of said actually i just had a reflection and I sort of dropped a message. So I was really proud of what we achieved at the time. It was really easy to go, I wish we hadn't done that. And oh, that didn't go quite so well. But actually, it's all part of the journey, isn't it? But um, and at the time, we 
when I first started wanting to get into rent to rent, uh, and again the same, I didn't want to do it on my own. I, I'm always someone that likes to collaborate. Um, I like to bounce off people. I like to generally instigate, be part of, grow new, new networks and people. It's just kind of in my nature. And I reached out to Lee, who's uh, a, a friend of, uh, uh, in fact, it was my my wife's sister's boyfriend at the time. So, um, it, so, and I was really inspired by how Lee was doing. And um, I think he had three at the time, three rent-to-rents that he got himself. And I'm sure for anyone that is either doing rent-to-rent or have been taught how to do rent-to-rent, will know that when you get to sort of three or four, you know, you're making, I don't know, maybe seven, eight hundred pound, you know, per per unit or, you know, per per, per HMO. And you, you, may, you may be earning three, four thousand pound a month after all costs. It's a nice independent work on your own quite a lifestyle business you know you can make a, a living from that and that's kind of where Lee was and um, I was quite inspired with the fact that he made this jump and I said look I really want to get into it and um, but because of what I was doing not only uh, progressive but because of my history being in sales I said well look, I think we can scale this but I hadn't done rent to rent myself yet so I managed to find one uh, with me, so on my own with, with somebody direct. And um, and then I put that together with Lee. And then Lee and I, very, very quickly, over the next six months, we got about another five more, I think, four or five more. And we adopted sending letters directly out to, to owners in new build developments. So we weren't going after the older houses. We liked the idea of having... It's becoming at the time, and it is now, let's be honest, and also serviced accommodation is much the same. Something that has a lower point of entry, you know, less money to go in, and all of those reasons, I said, why I started, made it a more of a, crowd, um, a crowded market. There's more people doing that than, say, building multiple houses. You know, it's just a natural, a natural thing. And um, so we had to be something different. So we like to go after newer houses. Therefore, it gave less maintenance costs, so we had that as a, a as a, the main benefit, really. And where we live in Peterborough, uh, there happens to be a lot of new builds like there are in a lot of places. So that was an easier market for us to target. So we got quite a few quite quickly. And I think we got to about 10 or so. And this all happened within the space of nine or 10 months. So it happened really, really quickly. And um, we then decided to start to um, just offer trainings. We felt that we weren't pretending to be anyone that's like a progressive, never in a million years, but we liked the idea of um, Dylan, who was my mentor at the time, said that it doesn't matter where you are within your experience, there's always a chain. You know, you can put your left arm out and somebody hasn't done as much as you have, but your right hand's out and the person that you're holding hand has got more than you. So there's always a chain that you can always help somebody that hasn't done as what you've done, but you're not pretending to be someone that's... Uh, a lot more experience and that's the what we adopted and we've done no end of training events and um next step exec, uh, success accelerator events that lee and i was holding at the time all around meant to rent how to start that was you know not to scale but how to start that's what we what we were only really talking about and um and we loved it and that's what we did and and actually evolved onto you know service accommodation but that's what we did at the time hmm okay and then, you know, when you were getting these rent to rents, how many did you did you get? So we at our most we had twelve. Um, so that's what we had at our our uh, from HMOs, and then we also had um, we had nine service accommodation in Sheffield. Uh, we had one service accommodation in Chelsea, and then we had two in Peterborough. So we had those as well as the service as well as the HMOs. So we had. We had quite. We were we were a joint venture with uh, with Jane in Sheffield, and then the rest we were uh, managing within the business. Okay, and then these properties that you were having on a rent to rent basis, alone or even as a JV, they're still bringing in a you know good amount of money. And then at the beginning of the podcast, you said if you go you know you went back in time, you wouldn't do rent to rent again. So. Everything sounds like it was going well. You were training, you were doing talks with Progressive, you were you know, bringing in a good amount of income. What changed or went wrong? And then kind of what made you say, I wouldn't do rent to rent again? Yeah, it, that was just a pure 
personal thing. It was literally just a... Um, so with service combination, what we found was that somebody's coming in through the front door. Um, what um, what we found was that there was so there was one there was more people doing it, which we found. So for example, in Peterborough, where we had two uh, service combination departments in Peterborough, and then all of a sudden, say for, I think initially we were making around a thousand pound net after all costs per unit. So two apartments, minimal management, making £2,000 a month after all costs. We were thinking this is, you can imagine, that this was much more profitable than HMOs. We are thinking this is going to, we need to get more and more of these. But what ended up happening was that three or four other people found that this apartment block was working well. Of course, they got the apartments in there. And then, of course, we were now in direct competition and we were making less than £500 a month for both in six months. So we, we thought this could be a pattern so uh, that kind of worried, that's what started to happen. There's more competition. Peterborough is a place, it's not like Cambridge and other places, you know, it's not really a travel to city. You know, it's more of a working, you know, people that work here or tra working travel. So we didn't really have multiple markets. So that was something we learned from. We got severely financially hit on one in Chelsea in London. Uh, we, that, was a, that was a mistake, uh, I have to say. Um, but it ended up costing us, uh, uh, Eleven thousand pounds in seven weeks, so that was a big, costly mistake. Um, and what happened there? Like, how can people avoid that? Oh, that was uh, oh, that was a nightmare. <laughs> I'm a proper worry, and that almost sent me into the only grave. That one did, um, but that was basically it was where you know a lot of people teach, um, which we were getting taught that you know when you go to um, estate agents, sorry, to letting agents, and say that you're a corporate company. You're going to take over a um, a, 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 ten, a tenancy, and what we're going to do is we're going to rent it out to companies and and staff that are going to be coming through and so on. You're being a little bit loose with explaining about the use of what this apartment's going to be used for. What you're not necessarily always saying is that by three o'clock this is going to be advertised on Airbnb. So it, and then it does. And uh, what happened was is that. Um, uh, less than a week in, we found that um, this girl that was going to be renting it, that was being rented out for about £300 a night, just under. So we were, uh, this lady was going to stay, this girl was going to stay. She said that she had a bereavement and hence why she wanted to get away and stay in this beautiful uh, two-bedroom apartment in Chelsea uh, with, with uh, a garden and all sorts. It was beautiful. And unknown to us, she then threw a 40-person party and um, oh, damn. completely wrecked it. And, yeah, and uh, She was clearly sad about that bereavement. <clears throat> she had thousands of pounds worth of damage, and we ended up having to uh, answer all of this, of course, to the landlord. Quite rightly so. They were very annoyed. And um, they had beautiful veneered wooden floor throughout. I mean, this is a beautiful apartment. And in the end, we had to uh, we had six weeks of bookings every night, three hundred pound a night. I mean, it was just amazing location, and uh, we unfortunately had to put the whole thing right and uh, hand the whole apartment back and correct all the damage. And uh, ouch, that cost us eleven thousand pounds yeah, in six weeks. That is, um, yeah. But be, I really, think... be really clear at the beginning. What's be, you know that was a real. Be crystal clear. If not, don't touch it. You know, because in case it comes back, you know. Yeah, and I think you know that's that's also a, a lesson or warning for people. Obviously, there's things you can put into place to kind of potentially prevent this stuff, but it is one of the risks of of having a service accommodation. It's one of those things that you know won't happen to everyone, but as you've kind of demonstrated, it can happen, and especially if you're in Chelsea, it can be very expensive. Um, so. You know, you, you learned from rent to rent. You had this challenge with the, the money being lost. Did you, at what point did you quit your job and go into property full time? That was in, that was in um, 2014. Yeah, around uh, October 2014. That's, that's when I left and that's, and everything happened beyond that point. So up, and, up until then, I was full time with, uh, with Progressive and of course not, um, not doing anything else it's only till after that that i decided to uh it was a risky 
risky things. Of course, I had a buy to let at the time and I sold the buy to let. Didn't I didn't have a lot of money in that buy to let, but I decided to sell it and risk the money on paying me a salary for six weeks, uh, six months, for example, um, to uh, to hope that within that six months that the income was going to be replaced by uh, the rent to rent business. That was the that was a difficult sell to the wife. I can tell you. <laughs> so. So you quit with savings in the bank as opposed to building the cash flow, then quitting, right? Just to get the order right. Correct, yeah. Okay, and would you advise that? I mean, I know it's personal to each person's situation, but do you think it gave you to kick up the kind of backside to then go and do it even more because of the pressure? Um, I just think if you're someone that is confident or at the end of the day, I think if you're someone that's a, uh, you know, a go-getter, wants to take action and wants to go and do stuff that if you can imagine i just knew that if i had eight to ten hours a day what can i achieve when all of a sudden i've got all this time back so when i'm not having to give it to um to another employer which in effect that's what i was doing so once once i've done that um then i just think it's someone told me a long time ago that if you're um you know if you're about to jump off the cliff you know do it with without any cliff edge you know just you just gotta you just gotta do it you know don't step back and think oh what, what don't worry if it doesn't quite work out i can get another job you know i think you've kind of almost said to yourself it's not going to work and you're going to get another job i think you've got to do it all and all or nothing and uh that was the approach i took yeah and i think you know it makes sense and i think yeah it's kind of everyone will will have a different view and approach on it and it's like i think yeah telling yourself that this is plan A and it's going to work um, is is helpful. But obviously, you know, there may come a time when actually yeah, you need a plan B. But I think, like you kind of said, by having a plan B, I guess our, our evolutionary minds that like comfort are thinking, oh, we've got a plan B. That's cool. Let's just half-ass this. Um, so I think that's a good way of putting it. So at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned that you made a big jump. Now, can you tell everyone what that big jump was in terms of your uh, method or strategy in property? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a few layers, but essentially I, uh, the, the biggest turning point was I read a really good book by, um, uh, by oh, Peter Thiel, that was the co-founder of uh, PayPal called Zero to One. And it really is such a small book as well. It was, you know, and um, it really hit home for me that he talked a lot about, you know, having a business that has the biggest moat around it and, you know, having um, something that's not a, not a monopoly, but you've been able to create something that's different, a real clear dif- dif- differential um, from the market. Now, I know property development and new builds is not a differential because there's many, many people that do it. However, I felt that the trajectory I was on was to continue to keep doing something where there's an easy, because uh, nothing's easy, but an easier point of entry. And uh, and I felt the more difficult something was, meant naturally there was going to be less people doing it. And the more complex it is, even those that do start to do it uh, don't want to continue. So that's kind of what that book really helped me with. And it was just, what what is that thing? Because I think it's, perfectly okay in business to go, do you know what, um, that business doesn't work for me. Like Gary Vaynerchuk and many others say, who cares, it doesn't work for you, just, you know, pivot and, and do something else, you know, that you, we, we all have that choice. And for me, property development, I loved the idea of creation, uh, collaboration, um, design, you know, all of those things were something that I just generally enjoyed. And um, but I, I didn't know how to make that jump. So what I did is I I I done the very similar. Uh, oh, I'm not sure if it's like this. Call it sort of bridged bridged um, tasks and actions that I did to go from rent to rent to HMOs because at the time Lee and I did uh, we done that as well. We we sourced and and got a number of HMOs at the same time because we what we did is we although we had rent to rents therefore we knew how to manage rent to rents but we didn't have the money to buy HMOs and we thought well rather than keep sending letters out to landlords to con- to convince them to 
you know, let their property out to a, a company such as us that's going to, in effect, rent, rent to rent them. Why don't we go one stage further and go to Blackfriars uh, Pin and, and uh, Canary Wharf and, and, and so on to speak to investors that want to buy HMOs? Because, in fact, if we help them buy a HMO, we are dealing direct with the landlords now. Not only can we then manage their HMOs, in fact, we can also get paid a fee, a sourcing fee, to find them and project manage them. So we have one business that fed the other one. So, which we did, that we'd done six of those in, in one year. So, of course, that was that made more money than the rent to rents did. So, so it was like a natural revelation. And we also had things like profit shares and the HMOs. And, of course, you, you, uh, you think, well, hang on a minute. That's a... You know, the product determines the money that you raise at the end of the day. You know, you're looking for a rent to rent. And we found that we were gaining interest from those that had, say, five or six thousand that wanted to invest that for, say, a 20 percent return or something. And that's really good. It works well and you can get rent to rents. But people are going to happy to put five thousand in on an unsecured loan because, let's face it, it's not secured anywhere. It's just a, a loan. But when you go to HMOs that for people that need to purchase a HMO, now you're looking at 70,000, 80,000. But the second we started saying we're now sourcing HMOs and we're going to manage them, all of a sudden we've got a load of people that have that kind of funding. So I knew that that evolution we could do, I could do again because the product will will will, uh, will attract the, the the money in essence or the people that have that kind of money. So, um, but I hadn't done development before. So why? did is the transition that I made was um, to find opportunities um, that, by the way, I didn't have a absolute foggiest about how to do development uh, at all. No courses, no nothing. Um, but, but I did know to how to communicate, get opportunities and to almost learn as we go. And I found a really good opportunity in Peterborough, at least at the time, in the end, it worked out really, really well. But at the time, I had, in all truth, nothing other than a, a naive, surely this might work approach. <laughs> and, um, and that's all I'm going to say it was at the time, because at the time you're thinking, surely we can get nine apartments out of this building. You know, it's, uh, it's no different to a HMO. It's just divide that building into flats rather than rooms, because really the, the principle was the same. And uh, but I didn't know, you know, where a staircase would go or what, you know, doesn't need committed development or floor planning. It was a, you know, three storey building, a printers on the ground floor, um, an office on the first floor and a three bedroom apartment on the top floor. And that was the makeup of the building. And as it happens, I just happened to speak to a number of people and I said, look, would you be interested in doing a what looks like a commercial to residential conversion? It looks like that could be the case. I've got a good friend of mine that's an architect. He said that he said that yes, we could probably get nine apartments by shifting the staircase and so on. And um, and we done a profit share, and that profit share was a 30-70 profit share. So I had no money in the opportunity, but I had time because the rent to rent business was paying a cash flow. So I wasn't active in the business. Lee was managing that, but that allowed me to be full time on pursuing the development um, side. So it allowed me to say, I'll tell you what, 70% of all the profit, quite rightly so, the owner that's buying the building, it's his money and of course he's raising the finance and um, I had a building firm, or we, Lee and I had a building firm uh, that uh, was, uh, we would work with several times on the HMO conversions that we trust. So we said, look, we've got a local building firm, we've got a local agents that we know well and we know Peterborough. So he said, okay, great. He had a, went ahead and done it and uh, um, bought, bought the bill. We didn't buy it, but Martin did. Martin bought the, this is our investor partner, and he bought it and uh, bought it for 415 and spent 260,000. And, and uh, eight months later, sold it for 1.1 million to one buyer for the whole thing. And uh, How much did he spend on the refurb? 260. I mean, that's some good maths. Sure. <laughs> It was, and oddly at the beginning, uh, by the way, we've not repeated that again since. <laughs> so it was like, it was like a, if you could find two or three of those a year, my goodness, we'd, we'd be doing them all day long. But at the time it was, and I went out to 10 or 15 people that were experienced developers and not one of them touched it. You know, they all turned it away and said, don't, you know, not worth our while. You make no money from that. And, uh, 
so at the time I was naive, hadn't done it before. Everyone that I was turning to that I had some real respect for and still do was saying, don't touch it with the barge pole. So it was it was a real um, t- test for Martin that we worked with at the time. And um, it was a fantastic way of, with no risk on my part, but to learn how property development worked. And, um, and of course, we still, you know, we invoiced at the end and, and done very well from the project and as, as did Martin. So it was a, a really good, a good way to introduce yourself into property development. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's that's very interesting. I think the first thing you said a, a, a while ago was that you you then started sourcing HMOs for people, getting paid a sourcing fee, then potentially a project management fee, and then you also offered a you know rent to rent on it. So you know one business feeding the other. I think that is it's. I, I'm just a bit shocked that no one has ever mentioned that to me before because it makes total sense. Like if if you are sourcing rent to rents, then you're you're almost sourcing HMOs to buy because some of them are going to want to sell their properties. If you know the area, you know the agents, which you're probably going to have to do for rent to rent to an extent. It makes perfect sense to source, make the three four grand, um, and then offer the rent to rent as part of the whole service. Because plenty of investors, say London investors or overseas investors, will say, "Oh hell yes, like everything hands off. Uh, yes, please take my money." So. You know, once you can offer that, I mean, yeah, I'm surprised more people aren't doing it. You might have start, you might start a whole craze now of um, of doing that and, and, and training and so, courses. And so people should. I mean, because mm. it was, it, you know, you know, really five thousand pounds to source a good property that that you know that's um, that you spent the time to do it and you're doing it full time and so on. You know, that's just in and plus five thousand pounds to over, oversee the project management. There's ten thousand pounds upfront as a business which is absolutely good value if someone's set up for it you know it you manage it you know the areas work well the rooms are going to be you could a good occupancy that's got to be what we used to say at the time and quite rightly so same with anyone i I say this to is it's not just the effort and time of the sourcing it's the knowledge the genuine experienced knowledge of knowing whether those rooms are going to rent out quick or not and the only way that can happen is if you rent out rooms in that area or not and at the time we had you know we had what at that time before we started doing that we had about nine eight or nine uh, rent to rent so we had pretty much a 97 98 percent occupancy rate so we knew that we 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 could offer a almost 100 percent occupancy rate on how we manage them now it was just a matter of finding them and uh, so i think that's a it's a, a very very good model yeah yeah and i think you know that's that's a tip for people who are using sources you know, for buy to let, it's kind of a different story. But if you're using a source of a HMO where, you know, room occupancy is is a concern or is a factor to look at, you you should do more due diligence and more prodding and questioning to make sure they know what Carl just said they should know. Because you know that's true, and it's easy to forget that. It's the occupancy. It's just you know now in property development, obviously, it's always the exit. It's the first thing you you fly to because if you, unless you can sell them, let's be honest, it's. You know, you're in a you're in a bit of a pickle. So the exit is what will always drive it. And I think a lot of people just focus on, oh, that's what the room rate we're going to be getting, and that's what we're we're going to achieve a thirteen percent yield. Well, actually, who's managing it, and who where's the genuine results of the occupancy? And if if you can't get that, I, I think I would uh, um, I would think twice. Yeah, and you know, going back to how you you know got in development with that deal. So for the thirty percent, what just to clarify, what was your, so you had time, but what was your actual role in this development? So because I, I live local and Martin didn't, and he was at the time in full-time employment. So it was, okay, Carl can be the person that can visit once a week. He can be my confidant, my person that's liaising back and forth with the building contractor. Are there any things we need to get? Are there any issues? Um, so it's, And also it was a respect for the fact that I found it because of course I hadn't charged any form of sourcing fee, no time. So yeah, it, therefore he's paying me out of the proceeds. I see. You so, were like his project manager in a way. Yeah. In a, kind of very loosely at the time, if that makes sense, mm. but yeah, in a way. Um, and, uh, yeah, and of course I run the risk, of course, if it made no money, I made nothing. So yeah. it, was, uh, it was a real risk on, on both parts, but in the end it worked out tremendously well and how long ago was that so 
Uh, yeah, when would that have been now? So what we 2019, so oh, I'm not sure if that was. I can't remember if it's six. I think it might have been the end of 16, I think. Okay, so since then, how has your journey evolved within property development? And do you still have the rent to rents or have you given them back or? All the rent to rents, service combination, the HMOs, um, Lee and I uh, went our separate ways. Uh, this was um, almost two years ago now. And um, so, yeah, I've had nothing to, to do with that whatsoever. And um, and that was, in all truth, the main reason for that was was not having a uh, a mind space distraction. You know, probably like with any business, um, look, we can have multiple. Don't get me wrong, and there's spin-offs from what you do. But at the time, if I was still having one foot over there, then it would make it um, I couldn't be all in. And, uh, and also, Lee and I were in very different places in our lives. And I'm, you know, I've got a young family and you know, wife and so on. At the time, Lee was single, wanted to travel. So we were in it really t- two conflicting places. So we had to sort of separate and go our separate ways. And, uh, he's, and Lee's still doing his own rent-to-rents and HMOs and, and does it all himself and, uh, and does very well. So, um, uh, yeah, but at the time, uh, when, I, when all that had happened, it kind of was the catalyst, really, for me to go. Actually, this is really the, the, the journey I want to go on. You know, that's. Um, I felt that HMO and things like buy to lets. We'd done no end of sort of buy to let sourcing as well throughout that time. You know, it was we were doing lots and lots and lots of activity and viewing. So we got we come across quite a few opportunities, and um, I found really buy to let and HMOs was, was going to be more of an investment strategy for me in supposed to be in my vocation. And I think that was a big distinction that I had to understand was what does Carl's daily vocation want to be, which is something I have passion for, love, enjoy, want to build. And where does Carl want to be putting money in when I make it? And uh, that's where HMOs and buy to let sat. So once I made that distinction, it made it easier to throw all of my time into property development. Yeah. Um, and so how has your sort of like property development journey like changed from, say, once you, you, you know, parted ways, you stopped doing the rent to rents and you focused on development. What have you done since? And what have been some of the, I don't know, lessons or challenges along that journey? Blimey. Um, so uh, keep it short. So in terms of the jump, what I did is when I was doing that time, when that's coming to, when that, uh, nine apartment conversion was coming to an end I found another opportunity near uh, in Peterborough again um, a, a piece of land um, and in a beautiful village just outside Peterborough and, and I really love the idea of being able to um, n- not just be building apartments and I wasn't because commercial conversions let's be honest are becoming almost I wouldn't say impossible to find but are very very difficult you know a lot of people have done them and uh, there's certainly a lot less of them and of course once that happens and a huge demand for them the prices of those kind of buildings um, are difficult to purchase and I like the idea of buying plots of land to physically build units out of the ground rather than doing commercial conversion but I had to go through the same journey again so I hadn't done it so it was Carl starting all over again, you know, because new build property development is you might as well throw the paper away from commercial conversion. You know, this is a you, there's elements, but certainly it's start all over again. Now you're talking about planning applications and pre-planning and do you do pre-planning? And if you do pre-planning and you shouldn't, it might put a black mark. And it, it, there's all these intricacies throughout what you do with land and. And uh, so I found this piece of land, um, a, a business partner, uh, Kenny, that, um, that, that Kenny and I got uh, involved with at the time. And we then decided to, um, again, collaboration. Kenny's got a, a friend of mine. He's got a, quite a network of people. And he was, and myself, between us, we managed to raise um, sufficient funds to purchase this piece of land. Uh, we got the planning first, so we've done a subject to planning offer, so um, to build six beautiful stone-built houses, um, you know, four or five-bedroom houses, That's um, and uh, that we decided to call it 
uh, Skylark, and um, that's that was kind of come what what happened then is the Carl's time was spent all on or a majority of it, not all, on um, finding a contractor, which we did. Happened to be the same guy we worked with before, and uh, we we built uh, six houses. They 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 finished getting built this January, so it took about a year year to 12 uh, 14 months to build them but it took about 11 months to purchase it so you know that's about a two-year time frame to, to for all that to come to january and uh we're um we just got a couple of those, un- those units to sell so wow that's um i think that's, that's a nice insight into the the realism of developing is that yes it's bigger money bigger risks but much bigger time frames in that time someone could build a HMO or buy to let portfolio and be financially chilling. But of course, that's just the differences between the different strategies that people have to understand. Um, now, what were the figures on this? Like this, talk us through the figures of this deal of Skylark. So Skylark was, um, we purchased the site for 450,000. And did you raise all of that or did you raise the deposit? Uh, we, traditionally we raised about 320 or so thousand and that was because the rest of the the rest of the acquisition money's come from uh lendinvest which is the development finance company that in fact we're using them again at the moment on a um a couple we're doing five other projects at the moment but i'll talk about it in a minute but but lendinvest we're using again on, a, on another project and um they they gave the rest of the funds for the purchase of this one and then they they also funded the the build, which was about one point one point four million. It was for the build. Um, okay. Yeah. So one point four million for the build, about four hundred ish for the land. What's yeah. the GDV? So the GDV was around two point nine million, something like that. But I mean, that's that's quite a nice uh, amount of zeros. There we go. From uh, from costs up until profit, well, up until the GDV. There, yeah. um, how this kind of deal, right? With like, am, am I right in saying it's almost a million pounds of like profit? Mm. Oh my goodness! I wish it was. No, no, no. It was. Um, you know, after you take your the finance cost off, you're buying, you're selling costs, your legals, your you know cost of planning, your professional structural engineers, and all sorts. You know, it's you, you, you know that's 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 halved. You know. Um, and then you, you've then got, you know, once uh, the reality of development is once you once you've built a building and you've built them all, and then you get to the end of the build, you know, the, the, I won't say the clock is ticking, but basically what happens at that stage is that you're holding the debt baby for, you know, at that point you're paying high interest every month, and um, so at that point, you know, you don't really want to, you know, go much beyond the, you know a year at most really but of after you've after you've got them built about when you want to sell them you know that's that's really your uh, your ticket and and there's there's a lot to lessons you know to learn from that you know when you're building more executive uh, more more bespoke homes oak staircases and granite worktops and you can really put your stamp on them that they really need to be really quite unique um and in a really spot on location but they notoriously do sell, uh, they take longer to sell, where, you know, a lot of the, uh, we're doing uh, three, um, five projects at the moment, but three of which are all apartment blocks, all new builds. But apartments, of course, are your more, um, they all help to buy. So they're all going to be your more, I wouldn't say mass market, because we're making them bespoke still. However, you, investors could purchase them, first-time buyers, Worst case, we can keep them and rent them out and remortgage. So it gives us more exit options where your bigger houses, you've got, um, you know, you've really got to do them special to 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 get them sold quickly, you know. Yeah. And right, let, let's talk. So this kind of deal you did, you know, even if profit is half of that, it's still it's still bloody good. Right. It's still something that I know a lot of listeners who aren't developing, who maybe want to are thinking, yes, that is, you know, what I want to do now. Let's take someone who's got, you know, a couple of buy-to-lets, maybe a couple of HMOs, you know, kind of normal uh, property investor. What advice can you give them for making the jump that you did? Um, you know, how can they build their own Skylark? Like, what do they need to do physically, tangibly, every day, every week to get to, to Skylark? Um, yeah, I, th- I think you've... Um... 
there's a there's a few things I, I would say. I think number one is what I've always adopted, and uh, which, as I say now, you know, Broadwing's made up of myself, Ben, and Emmanuel. We've got a corporate structure now, and you know, it's all set and the branding and everything else. That I always, from the beginning, always, always thought much, much bigger. You know, I thought this is going into property development for me. Forget property development. Starting this business view it as a 10-year business because at that point your decisions are very different so therefore what does your activity need to do to build a business that's 10 years 20 years and you could even float and sell one day well that's no longer i'm just focusing on just getting the money for this project and seeing how i get on because all of a sudden it's who do you need to be around you to make it the, you know for it, that dream you've got in your mind that you give your left arm for all of a sudden that becomes a reality and when you really focus on it, and uh, obviously, I could, you know, in a couple of years' time, I could we, we could you know do do another do another interview, you know, in a year's time to really start to tell you how Broadwing as a whole has done on that on that journey. But um, I think that was the first thing. I think it kind of just just think bigger, not from a money's perspective, but simply from a to help help your decisions initially. So that's the first thing I would I would say, um, but it, if you need to do something, uh, any of us need to do something, then the question I think we should all ask ourselves is, um, who do I need to speak to to be able for that to be more of a reality than it is today, and and that's really how uh, how I always operate um, for anything. Don't always get that right, of course, because what happens is you get a lot of noise from a lot of people. So you don't know who to listen to. That's the biggest problem. Um, you know, we can all find evidence that things go well, and we can always find as much, you know, evidence that things don't go well. So it's where do you focus your your, your mind? But um, so tangibly, uh, think bigger. I think from initially. Two, who do I need around me? Uh, I think that really does help speaking to other developers. I think that really helps. So I know it sounds really cliche but going to network opportunities um but not just going handing out business cards and looking for money i think if you go looking for people then that changes because if you go looking for people just go and have coffees and things afterwards forget the money because other developers have got money other developers have got opportunities you know me ben and emmanuel emmanuel is self-made Ben is a very successful director for one of the largest construction companies in the world. You know, why in a million years would they want to even be working with Carl? You know, ever. You know, never in a million years will I expect to be working with, let alone own a business with both of them. It's only because Emmanuel likes to collaborate. Ben is a really busy person working at a company, can't do everything all of himself, but wants to build up a business a property development company. So the three of us have almost come together over these years and, and to, to, to collaborate, um, less risk. We can all leverage each other's time. We've all got different skill sets that, that plant each, you know. Um, so I think that's, uh, it kind of naturally happens over time, but you can't expect it to happen tomorrow. I think it's uh, a bit of patience. Yeah, so I think the main theme I got from both those points, I think, is that, it's about people so like if anyone listening and, and i've i've personally done this you know surround yourself with people who are doing what you want to do people who've done what you want to do um because they're the kind of people that you will learn off if you want to be a developer and this is not in a rude way there's no point in hanging around with people who do sa i mean yeah they, they, you know have friends of course but you know you want to surround yourself with developers or people who have done development because that's gonna it's gonna put you in the right mindset it's gonna get you in the right frame of mind to do development but also have the knowledge like if, you, if something goes wrong or you're looking at a deal imagine if you could text a developer and say hey can you have a quick look at this please 10 minutes later they say yeah it stacks you know you can then put an offer and you can work with confidence and comfort in a way so definitely change the um change your i guess immediate environment to in, include people who are doing what you want to do so you know, in in development, like, you know, especially when we talk about bigger schemes, there's obviously the risk of, you know, not selling, there's the risk of not getting planning. It is quite a, a risky and potentially challenging strategy. What are some of, like, I don't know, the biggest challenges you've faced yourself when developing? And then how can people learn from those? 
Yeah, I think uh, so. A couple of things just to uh, bridge that. I think num number one is um, when you're starting out, because there's lots of courses in education, let's be honest in this space. We, 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 we know that, that people can, in effect, circumvent a lot of the sort of say they won't be hit with such big problems and challenges by getting the education. The difficulty with that is there are millions of little tiny things that are to learn with property development that you simply can't learn on a course. It's just impossible. None of us can do it. And the only way to learn from it is to do it. There's no two ways about it. However, um, at the beginning, the biggest ways to help uh, is the assessment of sites. If the assessment of the site, and a lot, so a lot of that can really get rid of almost, I wouldn't say all of the, the exit issue of selling the units, none of us can, none of us can uh, foresee what's going to happen in the market. That, that's, none of us can see that. So if the market falls by 50%, we're all knackered. You know? there's, not, there's not two ways, only two ways about it. But at the same time, that's very unlikely. I think we, you know, and there's lots of uh, um, caveats that the lenders put in. And, and right now, any developer should be looking for much higher margins than they were a year or two ago, for sure. Um, just to just to help out, building costs are increasing; they're not decreasing. Um, so it's just you know things like that just to, uh, to to add in. But the assessment of opportunities, so. Build cost. Um, don't just rely on one quote for a building company. We've made that mistake a couple of times where you really get in with a building company, you really like them. They'll say, oh, it's £130 a square foot. Definitely, you can build that out for. Great, because you're full of excitement and you want to make the opportunity work and you want to get hold of it. So you put an offer in and you get it accepted and then you start legals. You might even exchange, which we did on a site, and once you've exchanged, and you let's say you've bought a site for six hundred thousand, and you're putting in a five percent deposit, you're in for thirty percent thousand, and now cost you legals, and you've started some design work. Now you're maybe up to fifty or sixty thousand pounds of cost, and you've still not completed yet because you're due to complete. And um, all of a sudden, the building company you want to get a quote from, you ask for a bit more detail, and the quote comes back at one hundred seventy-four pound a square foot. Now you've exchanged, and uh, so which we've done by the way, and then you're in. Ah, oh, okay, this is a problem. We've just shaved off the best part of sixty to seventy percent of the profits has disappeared. So now there's a real problem. Now what you should do at the beginning, of course, is um, either get two or three companies to look at it. Um, it's very difficult at the beginning to when you don't know at the beginning, which which I and we didn't, that you are relying on a building company to tell you what the square footages are. The difficulty with that is, of course, there's no detail. The detail only comes from the design, and the design only happens when you start paying for it. So you might, a site might have full planning that's got, say, we're doing a site in Huntingdon in Cambridgeshire for a beautiful building called Castle Point, and that's... Um, uh, three houses with seven apartments. Yes, a beautiful design, that one. And um, you that had planning when we bought it. So you think, okay, it's got planning permission. I can just give those plans straight to a building contractor. No problem. Reality is you don't know how deep the crop footings are. You don't, because you've not even done a ground investigation, because the seller certainly hasn't. Um, you don't know what the landscaping is going to be, what type of trees need to be put in, how much the cladding is going to cost. So once you put all that in, it, then the real true costs come in. Now, what can help stop that is that you can have what's called an employee's agent or a contracts manager that, that you can employ as a business. And there's lots of consultancies that offer this service. And they sit between yourself and the contractors or the trades. What they give you, and they're also a QS, uh, they do a bank monitoring, but they're a quantity surveyor. So what they can give you is the actual costs of what the build will be. So at that point, uh, and you can engage them quite early. Um, and I would definitely say get one of those on your side because, of course, they, um, that they can help you just give you more of a steer on the kind of cost of the build because now it's a bit more independent. 
So, but then when you get and base your build cost on that, not on what a builder's telling you necessarily. But um, but that that uh, I'm going on on this bit because we've been hurt on this tool three times. But this will help um, get your build cost in a much better place initially. Having said all of that, the first project we did, I speak, I spoke to one building company. He gave me one quote, and we done the build. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm only telling you what I know now, but at the time you don't know. So it's um, you can either luck out or you can be at high risk. So it really depends. It's just it's, it's there's always a caveat with these things, isn't there? You, it just depends on on how well you know the building company and and so on. But uh, that's that's one thing I think that will massively help. I think that's important because if you come from, you know, buying buy to lets or HMOs, you know, you can get pretty good at pricing up a refurb and knowing what a new boiler costs and when, you know, you can do that. And I've kind of got to that stage. But I know if I went to a, you know, a build like you're doing, I would be like, um, okay, I know how much the interior design will cost, but, uh, you know, I don't know the other stuff. And, like it's easy to just assume or you know like you said speak to one builder because it, you know it's just what you maybe have done but i think that's so important for everyone because like you said you could literally wipe your profit margin you know by a, you know if it's like 40 50 quid more per square foot per square meter it can change things drastically um but also what the picture i don't want to paint is that <clears throat> is that it's so difficult and you've got so many layers of of, uh, of 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 knowledge to get through before you can get into property development, because that's not where I came from. So you, that that you, you almost it's really easy to sort of go too much detail, and then you'll never do it. And it's and it's kind of having that balance. And I think that that's where the the collaborative nature that's the difference. You know, it's like okay, so how can I get into property development? You know, for example, Broadwing. You know, we. We're always on the lookout for we, we call you know broadwing consultants, but essentially we're always looking for people that want to um, you know learn and understand or and want to you know they can find opportunities and there's joint ventures opportunities and there's all sorts of things that 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 can be found from collaboration and uh, and that's not just for us as lots of people that every developer wants to uh, well I say every a lot of developers. Um, are looking for good people that want to, you know, bring opportunities to them, and um, and it's the action that's the most important bit. The detail and knowledge, and you know, that's 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 all the detail. You know, it's it's um, and a lot of sites can be a right move. They can be sat right there in front of you. You know, a developer is not looking for the needle in the haystack. You know, they're not looking for a wheel to be reinvented. It's just it's uh, an opportunity where an owner is open to selling it at the right price and. Maybe even a joint venture. We're doing one of those at the moment with a landowner. Um, he's putting all the land in. Um, he's also fully funding it. Can you believe? Um, and we have a profit share at the end. So it's there's so many ways of doing property development and not having to use any of your own money. And uh, we, we had no idea that thing even existed until we started doing it. And he's uh, uh, when you have a landowner that turns around and says. How much interest are you paying the bank? And of course, typically nine percent or so once you put your fees, and maybe even ten percent once you put you in and out fees. Um, he says, "Well, if I fully fund it, I'll put the land in, and you pay me the interest uh, out of the proceeds. How about that?" And of course, it's uh, it's you, you, know, you don't you don't you don't sit there thinking we'll suggest it. It was just we never thought anyone would would consider that. But he's a multimillionaire, and uh, it made sense to him to do it that way. And, wow. uh, it's, um... And these things do happen, you know, I think it's, it's easy to listen to us talking and saying, you know, like, you know, landowner funding the deal, which is something, you know, no one would sort of say no to, but it, it can seem kind of, um, I don't know, out of reach or maybe unrelatable until it happens to you. So I think like, it's good we talk about this because, you know, it's, I guess it's to show people, look, it can be done by anyone. Uh, it's happened to you. It's happened to others. Uh, and it's like... Not to feel disheartened by it, I guess, because it, you know, these things can, like I said, seem way out in the distance, but they may not be. Like you said, you need the right person at the right price with the right bit of land, which, you know, could be on right move. So, um, what is in the the future for you? I know we're sort of almost at the end of twenty nineteen. 
what yeah. you know what's 2020 looking like for you oh well, it's um it's it <laughs> this year has been literally this big if you, if you, well, you probably saw my bags when i came on the video <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a real proper challenging year this year um, on many 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 levels um and, and what i mean by that is that it's all about delivery you know for us it was last year was all about finding the sites and um you know lots of offers lots of kissing a lot of frogs and and um, also Emmanuel Ben and I get to know each other more and you know the the, the business between us if you like is was growing you know, always continually um building our network different lenders loads of building contractor meetings still having them which route do we go do we build out sites ourselves and deal direct with the trades if we do what resource do we require for that if it's going to be having JCT contracts and design and build contracts where the contractors do everything, what does that look like? And what resource do we need for that? Where do our risks sit with all of those those choices? So we would, all of that's been going on and, and, um, and we're doing a multiple of all of them. So, um, so last year was about that. This year was about early part of this year was purchasing them. So we, um, we actually exchanged on two plots of land at the end of January this year um, on almost the same day. So it was a matter of hours on that evening and the next one was the next morning, um, which I don't ever, never my worst enemy. <laughs> it was just an absolute legal nightmare. And, uh, but we, uh, <clears throat> so we bought, we bought a site in Purley in Croydon and uh, we're building nine apartments, a beautiful building uh, over there. And um, we're, we've also got options on two other uh, pieces of land in the same location. So uh, to, we, we're, uh, uh, that's a direct to the owners um, and we get in the planning on those ourselves uh, and uh, we'll then look to get those built out towards uh, next May, June. So when we'll start those because it will take a while to get the planning. But we're doing one at the moment being built and we've got lots of challenges with that. But uh, that's for probably another day. But that's... Um, as we stand. We're doing 10 in Huntingdon. Um, that's, we've had archaeology on that. We've had a, that's a whole different thing, but I'm going to do some videos on that. But we've, uh, we've just finished a, uh, a nine-week archaeology dig, um, which is crikey. Not having ever known anything about archaeology. I could tell you, I could tell you a lot about archaeology now, nine weeks on. And um, one, it's very expensive. And two, it's uh, you're in the realms of your hands are tied to a to a to a degree um but that come to an end a few days ago so that's the groundworks now start on that one um six beautiful big stone built houses in just near peterborough um orangeries and all sorts of things been built on those that's gonna be exciting that's that's just physically start started the demolitions just finished and we're building nine apartments in acton in west london so it's an old factory it's just been demolished and that built that's being built as we speak oh, as well. Acton's near me. Interesting. We'll have, we'll have to meet up and yeah, it's a, that is an amazing, it's called uh, Warple Lofts. It's uh, it's all industrial, um, lots of internal stone, uh, brick and uh, black iron. And it's, it's a really, really cool contemporary. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I definitely love to come and see that as it's being built. That's literally oh, like 10 minutes down the road. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Amazing. So, and... so it's all about delivering them. Yeah. Well, yeah, there we go then. So, just let's end the podcast with you know the, the, all these properties and land you're buying obviously costs money um and i know you know a lot of this is investor funded if you had to leave the listeners with one single tip on how to raise investment finance mm -hmm. what would you say to them find people not money without a doubt that's my uh, uh, that's the message i want to continue to to, to say it's it's uh, to this day um, it's something that I've started and will never, ever stop that approach because if you're going out looking for partners or collaboration and people that um, that want to be able to get into property development or don't have the time or, um, you know, um, yes, investors are looking for experience, but don't assume what people are looking for. You know, what generally all of us are up for is someone that, you know, all of us – there's things like so much to learn from like you know x factor and all sorts now what what gives us that why is that person all of a sudden up, up on the stage just got a sparkle that you really gravitate or have an emotion for or something like that it's because you can see see something in them you know for them it's 
it's a passion it's you know that's really what not a distraction not oh i'm not quite sure or i'm going to look to get into that or you know that's not what people want to hear you know it's it's uh it's certainty it's a drive it's you know that's what i think is if you're going out there looking for people meet people and from that is uh you know money comes from people they have it <laughs> so you know it's, it's not a you know we're not going out to the likes of um even dealing with people like you know we we have uh, relationships with the united trust bank and octopus and lend invest and people like that and we deal direct with the banks and that they are largely yes of course they're a corporate entity in, to a to a lesser degree you know you, you treat them slightly different but at the same time they're still looking for the same yes they've got to look at the numbers and so on but they unlike a buy to let mortgage or hmo mortgage that's a, a yes or no tick box it's very much a where's the business going what are they looking to do who are the three people in the business you know what are they all bringing you know how good are they at getting other resource if there's a challenge which they always are how do they how do they pivot how do they change if there's a contractor problem how do they deal with that and um, so that's what um, it's the same thing every time it's it's all about you and and uh, so i'm not sure if that helps but that's what i would say awesome well thank you so much for coming on the podcast if uh, if people want to get a hold of you what's the best way for them to do it Oh, please drop me an email um, or um, or Facebook message. Uh, obviously, Carl Spencer on Facebook. But is it okay to give my email tages? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So Carl with a with a K, so K A R L at BroadwingHomes.co.uk. So it's B R O A D W A N G Homes.co.uk. Amazing. And I will put that in the show notes underneath the podcast so everyone can contact you directly. Carl, thank you very much. You're more than welcome. Cheers, Tej. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.